The title of today's message is The Facts of Life Concerning Sin Denial, Part 9. It was given during the morning service on January 29, 2023 at the Eastside Bible Church in Chicago, Illinois by Pastor John Stevens. For the sake of the recording and those listening remotely, it's the last Sunday of the month. And each last Sunday of the month, I teach from Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 15. I've entitled the series, The Love of Christ. This is his love dying for us on the cross. That's what verse 11 says. Look at Titus 2, 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. Salvation is offered to all men. That's chapter 2 of Titus, verse 11. We know that this grace of God appearing is love from God because look at chapter 3. Titus chapter 3, verse 4. The same statement is mentioned in Titus chapter 2, verse 4. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared. So here you've got love of Christ appears in chapter 3, verse 4. And in chapter 2, verse 11, you have salvation, the grace of God appearing. So Christ's love is manifested through his grace. What is grace? Grace is unmerited favor. Nobody deserves salvation. That's what verse 11 is saying. He brought salvation to all men. Because salvation had to be brought to all men, you can't and I can't save ourselves. Let's be clear as a bell on this. You can't work your way to heaven. You can't be religious enough. Notice verse 11 says, God brings salvation to us. He has to open our hearts to the gospel. So you can't save yourself. You're not good enough to be saved. There's a problem. Salvation means salvation from hell. In order to be saved from hell, that means you have to recognize that you deserve hell. You can't get to heaven if you think you're a good person. And so what we have is God is the one who has to intervene on our behalf. All of humanity. This isn't just for Western civilization or those who claim to be Christians. All humans. Notice in verse 11 it says, salvation is brought to all men. Salvation is necessary whether one is a Buddhist, a Catholic, Eastern Orthodox, Hindu. Doesn't matter. Everyone needs to turn to Christ. Verse 11 says, salvation is brought to all humans. If you're a human in this room this morning, you need to be saved from hell. But if you don't believe you're going to hell then you won't respond to salvation. Hell is a place of separation from God and eternal torment for every human that isn't saved, according to the Bible. It is accounted unto man once to die and then to judgment. Mankind, every last human, is going to be judged based on the response to this salvation in verse 11 that God brings. So salvation from hell... The assurance and security of going to heaven when one dies requires us to start right in our condition. And our condition is we are wretched sinners. And we're called to repent. The Bible says this very plainly in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, that there are none righteous, not even one. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are condemned to hell because we are terrible wrongdoers. And essentially that has to do with your mind. Ephesians 4 tells us that the heart of every human, the mind of every human, is captured by evil desires and lust. Lust and lies. There is no such thing as a good human. Paul wrote to the Romans as well and said there are none righteous, not even one. And he said we deserve death. The wages of sin is death, the Bible says. 
eternal death as well as physical death. You can't be saved if you don't recognize this. It's this counter to everything that our culture says. Everything in our culture says is that we're good people. Love yourself. Trust yourself. It goes against everything in the Bible. One is not a Christian and saved from hell by thinking that one is a good person. Paul told the Galatians, if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. And the truth is not in him. You and I are not good people. We violate God's law and his word on numerous times and cases. If you go back to Titus chapter 1, Titus chapter 1, we can see that, for instance, in verse 6, an elder has to have children who believe, not accused of disobedience or rebellion. So we see right there that rebellion comes naturally, even in the parenting situation of children. Children rebel, and they have to be trained out of it. Go to chapter 1, verse 15. Chapter Titus, chapter 1, verse 15. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving. Unbelieving in Jesus Christ and defiled. Stained with sin. And notice their mind and their conscience are stained with evil. You can't be saved if you think you're good enough to get to heaven. The Bible goes directly counter to that idea. So we either believe a fallen culture... It says we're basically good, we're gods, we can make anything we want of our lives, never let anyone tell you otherwise, don't let anyone give you anything negative. Well, the Bible goes against that. And so what we have is a contradiction between what our culture says and what the Bible says. All I can say to you is, I can't change your mind, you can't change mine, you have to make a decision whether you're going to trust, as verse 9 of chapter 1 says, verse 9 says you're going to trust the faithful word that the Bible is the word of God. I've run into many people who reject the truth of the Bible and they say that it is not the word of God and all I can say to them, as I've said many times at funerals, is a very simple truth that I have in my own life. I've studied the Bible roughly 30 hours a week for 36 years. 36 year right now. You can do the math. That's almost 50,000 hours I've spent in the Bible. I've never found a contradiction or an error in it. I've studied it in all three of the major, the, the three ancient languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, and I have not ever found a contradiction or an error. This is a miraculous book because it is the Word of God. The Bible says all Scripture is inspired by God. If we were honest with ourselves as humans, we'd recognize there is nobody that is good. Why do we have crime? Why are our cities in this country just disintegrating? Not only is there injustice that is committed, whether in people of authority or by civilians, murders, the massive sociopathic taking of life, down to at the workplace. Who do you trust at the workplace? Everyone seems to lie. They make up reasons for what they do that aren't true. People are inherently wrong, evil. Self-centered narcissists. A person can just shoot somebody and doesn't even care that they're dead. Where is the inherent goodness of man? Man can do good actions, but the Bible confronts the heart. The heart of man is desperately wicked, the Bible says. That's your mind. If you hope to have that salvation of Titus 2.11, you have to look internally and stop lying to yourself. Okay? 
You swear in your mind. You hate in your mind. You lust in your mind. You have addictions. You have wrong habits. You hide stuff from people. You don't want anyone to know the evil that is in you. How does that make you good and me good? It doesn't. That's why the Bible says we're desperately wicked in here. You cover it up with others. Maybe if you're in front of the boss, you're not going to swear at him. But as you walk away, you curse him in your heart. We're evil. That's our condition. So you've got two options. The Bible says humans are evil. The world says we're basically good. What are you seeing in the world? We're on the verge of nuclear war. Putin lies just as much as the co-worker that we work with. Doesn't matter. Lies abound. The military and the heads of state of communist China say that the China Sea is their domain. That's a lie. International waters have been established for decades that that is international. Government heads lie. Everybody lies. The Bible says the heart of man is wicked and he is a liar. God does not entrust himself to humanity. So you have to make a decision. Is the Bible true when it confronts you and I on the wickedness of our thinking or not? You can't go any further than that. If you can't accept that you are a horrible sinner violating God's word in your thoughts, desires, and will inside your thinking and that there's nothing good about you and you realize how helpless you are to stop sin, if you don't accept that biblical truth, you can't go to heaven. That's our condition. In verse 11, God recognizes that condition, and that's why in verse 11 it's called the grace of God. Grace means unmerited favor. He looks at us and sees we're rotten. There's nothing good in us. We're not called to love ourselves in the Bible. That's not the Christian message. The word of God does not tell us to obsess with ourselves at all, but to recognize how evil we are. This is a message that angers people today. That's why the Bible is rejected in the culture, in the government, in media, in Hollywood. The Bible and Christianity is mocked because this message is rejected. Grace in verse 11 of Titus 2 means you and I deserve hell and yet he is with no merit on our own willing to intervene and offer us the salvation. Salvation in who? Look at verse 10. The doctrine of God our Savior Jesus Christ. He is the only way of salvation. Look at verse 13 of chapter 2 our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So you start with your condition, and you realize you're a terrible sinner. Now I know that I'm helpless, and I'm going to hell, and I deserve it. And you honestly say that to God, the God of the Bible. Then you have to come to a second aspect of saving faith to get to heaven. You have to recognize who Jesus Christ is. In verse 13, it says he's God and Savior. Savior from hell and God. Jesus Christ, fully human. That's why he's called Jesus. He was born of a woman. And he's fully God. He is the third person of the triune God of the Bible, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All three are fully God. If you reject that truth, you can't be saved. He's not a prophet. He's not an angel like Michael. He is fully eternal God who came in verse 11 of chapter 2 with salvation and died on the cross and took your punishment for your sins on the cross. That was the agreement that God offered to humanity. You can't save yourself can't save yourself at all. So you have to make a decision. Do I believe in this God of the Bible, Jesus Christ? He's the only one that became human, perfect human, as well as remained God, according to Titus 2.13. And what he did was, in perfection without any sin, born of a virgin, sinlessly perfect as God is, he died unjustly on the cross 
for your sake and mine. He died on the cross, took your punishment, a great exchange. You and I deserve hell. He was willing to die in your place, take divine wrath on the cross, separated from the Father as he died, crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He died in your place. That is a drastic move to save people if we're good. Why must God become a man and die? Because a human had to die for a human. But a sinner couldn't die for other humans because they'd only die for themselves. So it had to be a perfect sacrifice on the cross, a sinless sacrifice, so that, that Jesus Christ would take your punishment and then by receiving him as Lord and Savior and repenting of your sins, then his perfection would be offered to you by position, not by practice. It's an agreement that God made through Jesus Christ. Any human that turns to Jesus Christ for salvation by faith alone, not by works, Ephesians 2 says, then the Father will recognize that faith decision to receive Christ as Lord and Savior, and the Father will grant you the perfection of Christ even though you aren't perfect. And upon the cross, the Father granted the sins of all humanity even though he was perfect. This is an agreement. Look at chapter 3, verse 7. Verse 6 says, Whom he poured upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Lord, so that being declared righteous by his grace, not by your works, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You can only be made justified or righteous, chapter 3, verse 7, by his grace. It's a gift. So, there are so many stops in the saving faith message that this culture shipwrecks on. You try to tell somebody that they're a horrible, hell-bound sinner, they'll walk away from you. I'm a good person. Yeah, sure. What a lie. All we have to do is examine our own thinking. Man looks on the outward appearance, the Bible says, but God looks at the heart. You can't judge yourself as being good based on the good things you do. The money you give, the people you help when they have a flat tire, it is based on what's in the heart. Man looks at the outward appearance, God looks at the heart. The heart is where he sees we're desperately wicked. You know it and I know it. You either admit the truth to God or you end up in hell. And you can't save yourself because you're bathed in wickedness in this mind. Ephesians 4 says that this is the lusts of deceit. It's waging war according to Galatians 5 in our minds. You're captured by evil desires. You can't stop it and you know it. All you can do is try to hide it from other people. Horrible condition. Jesus then, recognizing in, in Titus 2.11, offers your only way out. This is it. There aren't multiple ways to heaven. You've got one shot at this. Turning to Jesus Christ, and he is God Lord in chapter 2, verse 13. In order to be saved, you must recognize him as Lord God. Lord means master, total ruler over you. You submit under him and ask him to save you from the penalty of your sins. You recognize that he alone as God became man. He alone died on a cross. This is not generic belief in God. That doesn't get you saved because James tells us even the devil believes and demons believe and know who Jesus Christ is. They don't go to heaven. It's not generic belief in God that saves. It is Christ alone who saves. This is what the Bible says. This isn't my message. This isn't the message of this church because it's our denominational beliefs. It's the Bible's message. That's why Bible is our middle name. 
Eastside Bible Church. We submit as a church to whatever the Bible says. And when verse 13 of chapter 2 is staring us in the face, you can't be saved unless you believe Christ is God. It says it right there. Titus 2.11 slams this home even more. Paul told the Philippian church that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It is not just recognizing that he's God. The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said in chapter 2.11 that you must bow your knees to his superiority. You pl- saving faith is placing yourself under his lordship. Your master... I am wicked. I can't save myself. I'm filled with lies and lusts in my mind. I'm going to hell because of it, and I deserve it. Only perfect people can get to heaven, and I can't be perfect. There's no way that I could ever do it. One thought, James chapter 2 tells us, one wrong thought disqualifies us from heaven. We have to be as sinlessly perfect as Christ to go to heaven, and nobody can do that. You can't work your way to heaven. It's impossible. This is the message of the Bible. You can reject it, but if you do one day, you will face a judge one day who will say to you, depart from me, doers of iniquity, I never knew you. You can argue with an infinite Lord of the universe all you want, but you'll be arguing by yourself in hell. And once one is in hell, one is never extracted from it. Now is the time of salvation. You can't get yourself out of hell once you're there. Now is the time the offer is given in verse 11. Now is the time when love is shown in chapter 3, verse 4. Because when he comes back a second time, he won't be dying on a cross. He'll be riding a white horse and have a sword. And he'll be coming back to wipe out every human on this planet who has not received Christ as Lord and Savior. Sure, the society listens to that and says, what a rotten God that is. How dare he kill us? Who does he think he is? He's master and Lord. If you tear a t-shirt at home today, do you have a right to throw it in the garbage? Yes or no? Because you what? Own it. If I tear my t-shirt, do you have a right to throw my t-shirt in the garbage? No. Because I own it, you don't. You and I are owned by God. He is the absolute creator, God, and sustainer. He owns everything in the universe, the Bible says. Why can't he discard rebellious humans into hell? He owns them. We are worse than t-shirts. T-shirts don't sin. We commit blasphemous evil against the holy God every day in our minds. Society rejects that. Free to do that. The Bible says you can reject the ministry of Jesus Christ. Call it a bloody religion. Say that this is hateful and negative. Go right ahead. I sometimes wonder, why would anyone trust a messed up society's philosophies like the United States rather than a perfect Bible? I've never figured that out. I mean, think about it. Only like 10% of Americans even trust politicians. And we're going to place our eternal destiny into the hands of these philosophies of Hollywood and Washington? Why would we do that? They all lie. Right? But we hear the philosophies coming through movies. Oh, I believe that. We're so good. We're gods. And who spoke that? Some reprobate who's on his 10th wife. Some Hollywood actor. Who's nuts. But I believe 
And we come to a whole, holy, wonderful word that in 50,000 hours I've never found any contradictions. And when I stare in the mirror, this is telling me exactly what I know already. It's telling me who I am. I'm a rotten sinner is what it's telling me. It's telling the truth about me. So I'd rather believe this. Because God said it. That's why I'm countercultural. That's why our church isn't filled with Americans coming in here. They don't want to hear this message. They hate it. But one day, they will know. One day, they will know. Chapter 2, verse 15. Paul told Titus and guys like me, speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. That's what I'm doing right now. I'm speaking, exhorting, and reproving. Your only hope of salvation is if you realize how hopeless you are. What a wrongdoer you are. You violated God's word. And the thing is, there's so many rules in the Bible Almost a thousand distinct rules and commands in the Bible. Many of them, we don't even know what they are, and we're violating them. We're so messed up. We have no hope of transforming ourselves. So, can't get into transformation and the marks of godliness in verse 12 until we start in verse 11 and understand salvation is a gift offered to someone who is worthless and has no value whatsoever. That's what grace is, by the way, unmerited favor. It's not grace towards someone who has merit. We have nothing by which we can ever say is any good before God. Unmerited. You have no merit, nothing good. You come before the cross. As the classic theologian said, I come to the cross and I cling. to. I can bring nothing to the cross. I can only cling to it. We come to the Lord and we ask for his forgiveness. And this brings up the issue of repentance. You're not just acknowledging that you're a sinner before God when you ask for salvation. You repent. Acts 20.21 says, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks. That's everybody on the planet. The Bible always relegates humanity into the Jews and then the Gentiles or the Greeks. And Paul said in Acts chapter 20, he testified of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So you recognize what a terrible sinner is, number one. You understand that Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation. Christ said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes unto the Father but through me. It's only the bridge to salvation, the bridge to heaven, is only through Jesus Christ, who is Lord, God, and Savior. You recognize him as infinite deity, as a perfect human, and as master Lord. And that's the God you want to save you from hell. The one and the only one who died on the cross and took your place. Your punishment taken by him out of love. He loved us so much that he was willing to die for the sake of us wretches on this planet. But we have to receive him. And receiving him starts by faith, repenting. What is repentance? This is very simple. It comes like this. You say before God, God, I know I am wretched, I'm evil, I'm wicked, I have nothing good within me. I'm in so despair over how my life is hopeless, it is filled with wickedness, my mind is captured by evil. I can't do anything, I'm helpless, I'm no good. I come to you, Jesus, as the only way of salvation. You alone died to take my place. I believe in faith that you are God. I believe that you are eternally, fully perfect man. I believe that you are master over me in the universe. And I repent to you. I ask your forgiveness for my life of sin. I turn from my wicked ways and my life of sin in my mind and I turn toward you in faith, sight unseen. That's repentance. 
And I receive you as an act of my will. Not doing good, not paying for it. I receive your gift of salvation. John 1.12 says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. You must believe who he is, and you must with your will receive him. I ask you to save me from hell. I can't do anything but ask. I am so lost. This isn't religion. This isn't choosing a church. This isn't putting in an offering plate. This is eternal relationship of a holy God with a wicked sinner who's going to hell. This is relationship. I need you in my life to save me from hell. And when that happens, when a human truly and honestly admits how rotten they are, asks forgiveness and turns to Christ alone and the cross alone to save them from their hellish, sinful lives and the wages of their sin that is death. And Christ grants eternal life. John 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. And then what happens? You're saved and go on with your life and do whatever you want? No. Look at verse 12, where our series continues. The Bible instructs us now, as born-again Christians, to deny ungodly worldly desires. How can I deny? How can I, how can I deal with my sin when you just said we're helpless? Not once you're saved. Once you receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, in verse 11, the Holy Spirit, the second person of the Trinity, comes according to 1 Corinthians 14 and dwells within your mind and starts to miraculously transform you as only God can. Your desires change, your life change, your goals change. You're no longer a narcissistic, self-worshipping, hell-bound, lusting and lying human being. Now you're looking outside of yourself and you realize my goal and hunger is to serve a living God. My food is to do the will of Christ who saved me, just as Jesus Christ's will was to do the will of the Father. And I'm asking the Holy Spirit who indwells me through the instruction of the word in verse 12 to empower me as only he can. I have no power to save myself and I have no power to transform myself. This is not mysticism. This is not some speaking in tongues or some human miracle so-called. This is a wicked human empowered by the Holy Spirit because in faith that human repented and ask Christ to be Lord and Savior. The Spirit of God comes into the individual and starts to confront the first thing in verse 12, the ungodliness and the lusts that are in our minds. Isn't that incredible? The very thing that was sending us to hell in verse 12 is now with the Holy Spirit lovingly living inside our sinful minds. Can you imagine? Now that we're born-again Christians and on our way to heaven, the Spirit of God is now living within us. What an astounding miracle in our minds. But he will not transform us if we ignore the Bible. Since the Bible is the way of salvation, according to Romans, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You can't get saved if you don't believe the Bible is the word of God. Now, in verse 12, that same scripture, now that we're saved, is to continuously instruct us. The word instruction in verse 12 is paiduo, to train a child to be mature, to grow in godliness. It is possible to be godly. Look at the end of verse 12. So we might live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. 
You mean if Jesus saves me from hell? There's more than just that, you bet. Salvation in Christianity is not just about getting out of hell. It's about living a righteous and godly life in this present age. Look at verse 14. He gave himself for us to redeem us. That means to save us from the slave market of our sin. To redeem us from every lawless deed. And to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Verse 14 in one verse, is the entire biblical Christian message. Saved, redeemed, from all your wicked impurities, and then he purifies for himself. He purifies you. He transforms your mind. And you become zealous for righteousness. There is something fundamentally wrong with false Christianity in America, where people go to churches that claim to teach the Bible, And they teach the people in the pew, you never have to repent to be saved. You don't even have to recognize you're a sinner. And you only need to receive him as Savior, not Lord. Direct violation of Philippians 2.11. He is Lord. And we are to bow our knees to him in faith. And they just say, Jesus saved me. Now I'll go on with my life. And they live their lives any way they want. The life before so-called salvation and the life afterward is exactly the same. Verse 14 says, we're purified. For zealous, internally, we have a hunger for righteous deeds. This is what he does. He transforms us. He makes us new. The question for you this morning is very simple. You've heard the truth. This is not my message. This is not this church's opinion or message. This is the Bible. You can see right in verse 11. Let your eyes fixate on it. To bring salvation to all men means all aren't saved. And it's salvation from hell. That's what the Bible means by salvation. That means all humans are going to hell. That means everyone in this room is born and lives, dies, and will go to hell. doesn't matter how much money you have. That's not going to fix your problem. So the homeless guy on South Chicago Avenue, near 79th Street, who set himself up a whole tent city right there along the side of the road, if he dies in that tent right by the firehouse there on 79th and South Chicago. If he dies in that tent, he goes to hell. And Bill Gates, who's a multi-billionaire and lives in an unbelievably space-age secure environment that nobody can ever get in, his every win is covered by his computer genius. When he dies, if he's not saved, he goes to hell. Death levels everyone. All men must be saved or all men go to hell. It doesn't matter whether it's the president a rich Hollywood actor or actress, a poor homeless man in a tent at 79th and South Chicago, or one of the richest billionaires in the world. They all end up in the same place. Do you know what hell is? Hell is not a place where we all party off and have a nice beer party like the world says. It's not where I can finally let loose and have fun. The Bible makes it very plain what hell is. It, it is forever. There's no extraction from hell. Just as somebody who gets saved and goes to heaven cannot lose heaven, someone who ends up hell cannot be freed from hell. The doors to hell, the Bible says, are one way. Once you go through the door, the gate, which is in Matthew 7, once you go through the gate into hell, the door slams behind and you can't get back out. So it is permanent and eternal. There is no time in hell. There isn't like you work off your sin for 10,000 years in hell and then you get out. It's forever. The clock is thrown away. 
That's number one. Once you die, you start falling. Revelation tells us that it is a bottomless pit. So the terror of falling is forever. You're falling, expecting impact, and it never happens. Thirdly, hell is absolute darkness forever. You'll never see your hands. You'll never see anyone else. You will scream. The Bible says that you'll be grinding your teeth and screaming. No one hears you. God created hell, but he is not in hell. He's Lord over hell, but he's not there. He will not hear your cries when you're in hell. Fourthly, hell is pointless and there's no goal. You can't do anything. There's nothing to be done. You're idly falling in darkness and all aloneness forever. You have no goals, no one to talk to, no one to share your despairs. It is forever darkness, falling, pointless, and it is torture. For rebelling against the holy God of the universe, for having every opportunity in this life to turn to Jesus Christ, who graciously died for you, and you reject that gift of his death on your behalf, a person in hell will be tortured forever and ever and ever. It is eternal fire over every inch of that hell body with no annihilation. I can't think of anything worse. There is nothing worse in all of this world. We talk about the despair of bad families and how I was treated at work. We talk about the hardship of having no money, the problem of hunger on this planet, and the impending, always seemingly impending, doomsday potential of nuclear warfare. Nothing equals the eternal devastation of hell. And the sad thing, the tragic thing is, it is such a free and easy thing to not go there. You receive the gift. You ask him to save you. You repent of your sins and trust him alone as Lord and Savior by faith alone. You ask. You receive the gift. But man is so wicked that something so easy, he refuses to bow his knee to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. He will not do it. I am the Lord of my own destiny. I'm an American. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Fine. And nobody will tell you what to do in heaven. There are no atheists in hell. Every last one of them knows that they blew it. That there is a God and that they've been sent to hell. Every last one. No atheists in hell. So when somebody says to me, I reject everything about that perverted message that you believe in, John. I think it's perverted. I think it's disgusting. It's so negative. I reject it all. I do not believe that way. I say, one day you will. And then they say to me, when will that be? I say, when you die. The moment you die, you start falling into the trap of eternal hell and you realize it's too late. That's why the Bible says now is the time of salvation. This is exhortation and reproof according to Titus 2.15. And you know what makes up hell? A lot of people who claim to be born again. Hell is filled to those who said, Lord, Lord, according to Matthew 7. It's not just filled with the reprobates, the sociopaths, the psychotics, the mass murderers, the gang members, all those really rotten people. It's every good person who falsely received Christ. Everyone who goes through the wide gate in Matthew 7 believed they were going to heaven and they end up in hell. There are millions and millions in hell that said, I trusted Jesus as Savior. I asked him to save me. How could I end up here? Because you never did it sincerely. And you never did it truthfully. If you in faith ask Jesus to save you and you never made him Lord and Savior, you're going to hell. If you thought that he saved you just from hell without you having any guilt over your sin and never repenting, 
then you're going to end up in hell. As I said last Sunday, the first word out of Jesus' mouth in his first public sermon and the first word out of John the Baptist's mouth in his first public sermon in Matthews 3 and 4 is the word repent. If you do not repent to a holy God and to Jesus Christ of your horrible life of sin that you are choosing, you will end up in hell. Remember, the demons believe and have faith and end up in hell. They truly believe that Jesus was God, end up in hell. What's the difference? They never submitted. Faith is submitting under the lordship of Jesus Christ. I place my eternal soul and life into your hands, God Almighty. I am no good and I am not to be trusted. I am placing myself under your lordship and your divinity. You alone can save me. Demons never do that. And we have no defense before Jesus Christ. We don't try to convince him that I'm kind of good and bad at the same time. We realize just how wicked we are. You know why the Bible says many are called and few are chosen? Because very few humans will ever submit to this message. Very, very few. That's why Matthew 7 says, Why does the gate that leads to destruction and many therein find it? And few is are the group that goes to the narrow gate. Narrow is the gate and few that find it because this is repulsive to the average idolatrous, self-worshipping, wicked human on this planet. They want none of this message. And the worst of the worst are those that say, Lord, Lord, did we not do this in your name? I believed in Jesus. I truly thought I was saved, and they're not. They're not because all they wanted was a tick out of, out of hell and never acknowledged Jesus Christ as Lord over their lives. And just said, save me without any recognition of how evil they are. How can you ask God to save you when you don't even think you're a sinner? And if you don't think you're a sinner, what are you being saved from? We're being saved from hell. That's pretty drastic. To go to hell means we've got to be pretty bad. Either that or God is a sadistic God sending a lot of good people into eternal damnation. Is that the God of the Bible? A sadistic God who just loves tossing good people into hell forever? Or is he seeing something that humanity rejects, that we are evil to the core? And if we were honest, we'd see it all around us. Why do we have to lock our doors? Why are cars being stolen now? Kia's on our Avenue F block. All you got to do is plug your iPad into the USB port on a Kia, and away you go. Fun. You think we're good? Billion dollars a year is stolen out of Walmarts? Why do we have to be police standing at the front doors? Because we're good. Why are employers coming back, and employees coming back to employers and shooting everybody in the place? Why are students walking, and why is a six-year-old shooting his teacher? Because we're good. You see what liars we are? We're telling ourselves how good we are when everything is breaking down into being destroyed by sin. Everything. Everything is wrecked because of sin. The sin of individual humans. But then we say, well, that's not me. I'm pretty good. Oh, you're the exception then. Even though in verse 11, the Bible says salvation must be brought to all men. And that's why Romans says there are none righteous, not even one. Make the choice. Make the decision. Could it be that you're sitting in this room right now this morning? Because it is an appointment with a loving God who's offering you a salvation that maybe you heard in other churches and it was a false salvation. This is the truth what I speak to you today. You've seen it with your eyes. It is the word of God. 
And maybe you internally realize what a wreck you are. Maybe you've been suicidal. You despair. You don't understand. Why do I get up, go to work, come back, go to bed? Why is everything wrecked in my family? Why is it that I can't ever seem to have any peace? Why do I wake up with nightmares and living in terror? Why is it that I can't get away from the fact that I might die from gunfire? I live in fear and terror. And what happens if I die? I will never have a second chance. Maybe that's you and God brought you in here. Out of a sovereign power and love, he brought you here this morning to hear this message because he loves you so much. He wants you to receive him before it's too late. The Bible says now is the time of salvation. It is accounted unto man once to die and then the judgment. While there is life, there is opportunity. I will not manipulate anyone to receive Jesus. This is not scare tactics. Hell is real. Jesus Christ talked more about hell than he talked about heaven in the Gospels. This is his message, not mine. Don't shoot the messenger. I'm not manipulating or perverting the message. I'm telling you straight up. I'm giving you the honest truth. You're lost and you're going to hell, and it doesn't matter what good you think you are or what church you attend, even this one. It's not going to save you. And the evidence that you're not saved is your life is not transformed. You're the same before you supposedly receive Christ as well as afterward. Jesus Christ doesn't just save, he sanctifies. That's what verse 12 says. It says he wants you to be sensible, righteous, and godly in this present age. And you feel the same weakness, the same impotence. You can't possibly seem to get your life right. You've got to go back and examine your salvation conversion. No repentance, you're not saved. No trusting him as Lord and God, you're not saved. No admitting to God what a terrible, wicked sinner, you're not saved. Believing that God only and not Jesus Christ saves, you're not saved. It must be through Christ. The way of salvation is only through Jesus Christ. A generic belief in God and you end up in hell. Hell is filled with deists, people who believe in God. Make your decision. Don't trust me. Trust the Bible. Search the scriptures to see if these things be true. That's what the Bereans did in the book of Acts. This is not a message that we preach in this church just so we can get more money. It's not that. We don't care about money. This is not a message that we preach so that we can have huge church. This church isn't huge. It never really has been. This is not about fame. It's not about fortune. It's not about control. John Stevens up here doesn't want to control anyone. You have to make your own decision. I had to make my own decision for Jesus Christ myself. You must choose in your will what you're going to believe. Examine to see if these things are true. But now that you've heard the truth, you will be held eternally accountable if you reject it. And you don't know when your heart's going to stop. You don't know when your end will come. You don't know that you'll walk across the street and a car will hit you. Since you can't tell the future, you better make sure of your eternal destiny, which is forever, once you die. Thank you, Father, for your precious word. A word of salvation. A word of sanctification. A word of transformation. A word of hope and love. A gospel of a Savior, Lord Jesus, who, even though we're so wicked, you came and were willing to die in our place. What a Lord, what a Master, what a God, what divine, what a lowly human, abandoned by the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane you were, Lord Jesus. Everyone forsook you, and you still took up the cross and died for the likes of us. We never deserved it. Why would you die for such wretches as us? Glory be to your loving holy name that you were willing to come because there was no hope for us otherwise. 
I pray that nobody in this room would leave this room without making it personal, freely of their own will's choice to receive you as Lord and Savior, and that they would cry before you, recognizing how evil they are and repenting of their sin. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.